Michael. Michael, turn down my earphones, man. Turn them down. He's trying, Randy. Zip right your nose with the eye. Shut up. He's ready to go. I'll come I just want y'all to know I'm going to start this podcast off with a clip from um, the off the wall sessions when Randy was arguing with Michael about turning his earphones down and Janet said, just take them off because it was such a simple solution. And I think we learned a lot about Randy that day. Um, Instead of yelling at that man, you could have just took your headphones off. Uh, But anyway, here we are. So... Let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, first of all, this is our first podcast uh, in the new America. This is the day that the Lord has made. Therefore, we will rejoice and be glad in it. User one, you usually bring that sermon. But I'm, I'm here to stand on the word today because what we did <clears throat> over the last week and a half was monumental, meaning the positive energy that we placed at the end of our Thriller or Nah episode manifested a new president. Did. And I'm just saying, man, amen. We needed it, y'all. You know, so... It's like, you ever seen someone get demons cast out of them? That's what happened to America. We... An exorcism. We had an exorcism. <laughs> and we are finally free of a demon. A demon. I don't care. Listen, Anna, if you listen to this now, you don't want to listen to us because we said Trump is a demon. This was never probably for you from the jump. So now no. you this is confirmation that this was never for you. But we deserve... We deserve better than someone who is who he is. We have four years of that, and the lying, the lack of characters, no morals, no respect for people, lazy at his job, doesn't do a good job. Like, we just deserve a whole lot better. So we're free, kind of, sort of. Episode 13. First of all, we've made it to the 13th episode, ladies. How do you feel? It only took a year and a half. Well, we've really done more than 13 because we've had like part, you know, part one, part two. So we're really at like, you know, oh, we, 15. yeah, we have way more. Um, for those of you who are just joining the Black Jackson Estate experience, we started in January of 2019. And uh, we've got several two part episodes that exist in our library. So we encourage you to check all those out. But we are officially at a brand new episode 13 in 2020, a trying, trying year. We are wrapping up our 2020 season and wow, so many obstacles and somehow we still made it to record. So I just want to applaud user one and user 1.5 for continuing to make time to dig into the legacy of all things Jackson. God bless you. We're doing it for the greater good. (laughs) The greater good. <laughs> so we've been on a journey. Um, Joe Biden's our next president. The current president is Joe fucking Biden. Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden. My uncle like Joey. Hey, Biden. My Biden. uncle. 
my uncle Joey is going to be our next president and we're fucking thrilled about it. And uh, it's half of the reason why this episode is titled No Randy Formed Against Me Shall Prosper because the words of Stephen Randall Jackson did not manifest themselves according to his plan. And we're thankful to God for that. Uh, So just to give y'all a debrief on how we got to the subject of Randy today and why we'll be digging into the wild and crazy life of Stephen Randall Jackson today is pretty much based off of his response to the 2020 election cycle. So let's just uh, walk it back for folks and bring them to current day. So Randy's birthday was October 29th. He turned 59 big years old in 2020. Uh, we wished him a happy birthday. Everybody else wished him a happy birthday. User one, do you remember what you said to Randy on his birthday from the Black Jackson Estate account? Yep. Happy birthday, Randy. That was pretty <laughs> short. <and sweet. laughs> I mean, that was pretty much it. I just put a clip up there and I put a couple of did you knows about Randy, who's had a really interesting sort of professional career. And it's really... I think been highlighted by a lot of his work with his brothers, but he also had a really good solo album. So I share some love to his, his efforts outside of his family because, um, you know, I think, I think it was noteworthy and also, uh, you know, showed that he obviously was able to, to blossom outside of the cocoon of the Jackson family name and, and, um, you know, works. So it was really just a straightforward happy birthday message. Everybody likes Randy's stuff. So it's easy to have people kind of jump in and say happy birthday and appreciate his, his music. It's so easy. And if you'll go back to our episode, a brother not named Michael, you can hear our group episode where we uh, reviewed, um, the big albums that the brothers released and Randy got the highest rating from us. We loved uh, his output from Randy and the gypsies. We do recognize now that gypsy is considered a slur. So I'm probably going to beep it out from now on. You know, it's so many things in retrospect that we're learning about Randy now make a lot of fucking sense. He's got this problematic ass band. He's got these problematic ass tweets. We're going to unpack it all. Um, so the full circle moment, Randy's birthday is on the 29th. Everybody wishes him a happy birthday. We talk about how good perpetrators is on Twitter. Um, one of the few days anybody's ever going to do that in a calendar year. And two and a half days later, what does Randy Jackson do? Randy pops up out of nowhere with a pro Trump tweet hours before election day user one user 1.5 i send you all this tweet let the people know what your initial reactions were when you saw randy post a video entitled i was voting for biden but this changed my mind to trump um you know i was originally i was confused I, um, and I think most of us were like, what's happening here? Um, and, and then I thought, you know, here's the thing about this election cycle. And one thing that like, if you're a political, uh, or politically involved or, or inclined, um, as the three of us are, you know, we know, uh, as a whole black men voted, uh, for Trump 
in higher numbers than any other, you know, Black and Latino men voted for Trump more so than Black and Latino women. Um, so, I mean, I'm... Part of me was was confused, then I was shocked, and then I was like, meh, meh, this might be a Randy Jackson thing. I'm not really surprised. And then I was just annoyed. So it, it was like, it's kind of full circle. I don't know. I was shocked, surprised, and then annoyed. And then I was like, well, what the hell? Maybe he accidentally slipped and hit the, uh, maybe he was watching videos and hit the wrong button to post it. I don't know. You know, I didn't really think much of the post from the perspective of, hey, everybody, it's your page. You can say whatever you want unless it violates Twitter's little rules. So you can, whatever your opinions are or whatever, you can share that and people can like it or not. They can, they can, they can like it or they can disagree with it. They can comment about whichever way they feel. But it's your page, it's your prerogative, right? And you can go and, and say whatever you want. I also thought to myself, this is not someone who has any sort of um, amplification outside of a specific community. And so no one cares what he thinks. And that <laughs> who, who cares? I mean, I really wasn't too shocked by it. And I wasn't too... Bother, it's bothersome in the same way that if I had, you know, a black male friend and I don't have any who were actively telling me they were supporting Donald Trump, I would be disappointed in the same way I guess I was disappointed in Randy. And it's also disappointing from the perspective of people who are uh, generally not in the, uh, in the <laughs> financial bracket that uh, causes people to to use that as a reason for it, but that didn't even seem to be his reason for support. He really seems to be flowing in 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 some other um, channels of misinformation about why he would support the individual. But I honestly didn't take it any. Uh, uh, now, user two really took this hard. Yeah. She yeah. really took I mean, this it hard. Was, yeah. She was and stressed. Mm-hmm. He's just not, um, he's important because all God's children are important, <laughs> but he's not someone who, because you tweeted something on Twitter, the world turned their head, let alone batted an eye, well, let alone sneezed. But where did he come from? He don't post, he posts like 15 posts like total in his lifetime. Where did he come from out of nowhere with uh, a pro-Trump post? Like what happened? Like what happened at the house? Like, like, did we get in a fight with somebody? Like, why did he decide now um, to use his platform, whatever it is, uh, to, to, to post something like this? Like, it's just so confusing. And and I mean, we know he's not touring with the brothers, right? The the last time we saw Randy, he was posted up with Janet somewhere, um, you know, on one of her tours backstage or something like that. So, like, you are most closely associated with Janet, who who um, for all intents and purposes is very, you know, seems to be right, very. Um, Pro choice, pro rights, uh, LGBTQ plus community. Like, like, so I don't like. Why? What happened? Like, where'd you come from with this? Like, out of nowhere. That was exactly what came to my mind. Um, user one in one point five are correct. I was incensed 
Okay, for those of you who are brand new to the podcast or just may not have caught, User 2 is a whole ass political director. The national races are really big deals. And so um, it's really important that folks stay in tune during uh, election years, that you are receiving information and digesting it appropriately. And that's really difficult across the world right now because there is so much uh, misinformation and it's so difficult to parse through it. And so the last thing that I was expecting to see was Randy fucking Jackson coming out of left field to muddy the waters. Um, and so it just kind of led me down this rabbit hole to unpack how the fuck did we get here with Randy where he's posting, um, not only pro Trump material, which is one thing, but he's also posting, just really um, QAnon type shit that is basically suggesting that racism is over and uh, Black people have overcome all obstacles and that people who ignore that fact are somehow themselves racist. If we were to ignore the fact that um, we have overcome so much, then that makes us racist in turn. So if that doesn't make sense, it's because Randy said it. So let's unpack that just a moment. So Randy posts this crazy ass video. We all look at it. We all ask ourselves, what the fuck? As user one said, this is on Twitter in a very isolated universe. Not many people other than us are subscribed to Randy Jackson's tweets. I'm willing to bet probably nobody other than us. Um, but then Randy took it a step further. The next day, he takes that same video and reposts it on Instagram with a completely different caption. The second caption says, please watch. We are living in a time where there is a war going on. Not blue versus red, but good versus evil. We should ask ourselves, how does our position line up with biblical principles? Not what mainstream media pounds into our heads. Trust me, I know how convincing the mainstream media can be. They have lied about my family my entire life. Randy uses that caption for a fucking video of some nigga in a do-rag on the side of the road talking about why he was voting for Biden, but now he's decided to vote for Trump because Trump gave up his salary. Who gives a fuck? He's in a child trafficking ring. He's filed bankruptcy 75,000 times. His wife is a mail order. What? None of it makes sense, right? Um, the well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I would just want to give you a chance to cool down. Um, but I <laughs> bring it back down, bring it back down. But I think that's that, where it peaks. That's literally where it peaks. I think that I think that he does so to his credit, he has a point. And the black community is no stranger to the media lying. Um, there's no movement we've had in America, there's no truth of our uh, existence in America that has not been a reflection of mainstream media lying. Um, literally the existence of black newspapers was not only to bring the news of the black community. I'm talking about 150 years ago, not only to bring the news of our community, because remember a lot of us couldn't read anyway, but it was also to correct the record or to state the record that was not being stated by mainstream media. The sixties is full of instances of mainstream media 
manipulating what was happening during that movement. How many people were there? You know, if it weren't for TV, the papers were saying it was 50 people there, but it was really 5,000, you know? So I'm not, he's not wrong in the idea generally that there's a problem if you consume mainstream media and that is what you take as the gospel truth, you probably have a problem. But that's coming from all directions, left, right, center, right? You have to really dig a little deeper sometimes to really get to the heart of the matter. But what happens is people who support uh, 45 and people who support that sort of thinking have ingested large amounts of misinformation um, and have somehow believed that everyone is against them and everything is being, you know, used as some sort of hoax. He's sort of leaning into that. So he's taking something that's true, but then leaning it into something that's not true. And he's not so unlike anyone else we're seeing online in that. It's just that he's someone who, from our perspective, you feel some sort of connection to, or you had some sort of respect for. And that becomes, it's like a family member you find out supports uh, 45 and you go, wow, like I really love you and I still do, but this is a mess and it it changes your perception. And I think that that's what he ended up doing that caused so many fans to either just dismiss him or just have some feeling of disappointment that he would really put himself in the position of defending someone who many feel has a mountain of evidence that suggests he's actually a demon and a horrible (laughs) human being. Right. And yeah, I also want to bring at this point that user 1.5 mentioned while it is true that the numbers for uh, Latinx men and Black men went up for Trump, overwhelmingly, Blacks and Latinos and Latinas voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And we can't overlook that. So Randy's placing himself in a very small minority, a lot of them made up of um, elitely and uniquely privileged Black folks who have access to things that not only the majority of black and brown people don't have access to, but the majority of people, period, don't have access to. And so Randy's living in this bubble where um, he has access to this whole other world and these other resources that the folks below him don't have access to. And so, um, you know, that it's a really small number, but the point to get out of this, where this whole conversation took a turn, Randy posts this new caption on Instagram, and here comes Janet Demita Joe Jackson, also out of left field. Oh, Jan. With the prayer hand emojis delicately placed beneath her brother's bullshit. So I want to give a shout out to the (laughs) Janet Jackson pod because they unpacked this a bit for us and they called out the fact that you cannot discern what those praying hand means. Emojis are, you know, these are, these are graphics, you know, you can guess what she meant. She could have meant she's praying for her brother. She could have meant she's praying for the world. I didn't like it. I hated it. I hate it right now. Think, how do y'all feel about the praying hands? I think generally we know those hands are a show of some sort of support 
support. So I'm just going to leave it there. I, I think with the Jacksons, I think that they were, they've always been taught to, to, you know, Katie didn't play with them. They always been taught to like support each other or publicly anyway. But here's the thing about those praying hands. Michael didn't even know Janet had a Maybe, movie coming out. Uh, well, that was Michael. We, we, that's a whole other conversation. Now y'all know Michael kept everybody at arms. You I'm know, just, roommate. I'm, 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 Pushing back against the idea that they publicly supported well, each other's efforts. That, well, first of all, Janet, they did and, not. Uh, Janet and Randy are, you know, tied to two virgins. You know what I mean? Like, they've been real tight uh, the last couple of years. I mean... Uh, well, technically their whole life. They started out in their own group. Forever, yeah, yeah, I mean, but I mean, so I, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, when you know your family member's wrong, but you just, you know, you're like, eh. I mean, then you don't like, say nothing. No, well, I think it's a supportive, sort of, it's a supportive gesture. That, I think that we'd be stretching it to say it ain't. When she she put those hands underneath the, I'm asking, she put the hands underneath the that, that caption that you just read, right? User uh, two. Yeah. Okay, so you know, like like the I li- I did listen to the 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 Janet Jackson podcast as well. Shout outs to those two ladies um, and. I think one of them said this too. Maybe she was in solidarity with a piece of that, right? A uh, piece of what he said about how, you know, my whole family has been, you know, dogged by the media, blah, blah, blah. Um, but here's the problem with that caption in this video they don't go together, right? Not really, right? If he had posted that caption by itself with a picture of, you know, all all them Jacksons, right? It would have been fine, right? Or if he had posted it with something else, he posted it with this video. So even if Janet doesn't agree with the video, but agrees with what the the words that he said, it's you can't separate the two now because they've been packaged together, right? Period. So like you said, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I don't think she should have said anything. I've seen a lot of stuff that a lot of my family members have posted that I just kept scrolling. Honey. Absolutely. I, I know, <laughs> you know? But my thing is this, and, and this is what I'm saying. It's not even you say, you know, it would have been okay. It's okay that he posted what he did. I didn't, I wouldn't have bought a ticket to the victory tour back in 84 to see Randy. Except for me, you know what I mean? I came to see Michael. And, you know, so, I mean, listen, he, he's, he, like everyone else has their opinions. This is his, he's free to express it. I think hundred percent Janet was showing support. She, listen, she was showing support to some or all of the ideas. Regardless, it becomes something of a controversy because people want to know, do you stand with your brother who is standing with a person who is stands literally for the oppression of marginalized people and groups and communities? Is that what you're doing? Because if so, if I'm a part of one of those marginalized groups, maybe I don't want to buy no more Janet stuff. Maybe there's no t-shirt you can sell me anymore because I draw the line there for myself. So really the question for her is like, why... Um, risk that ambiguity and what people may interpret that to be. Why just not say anything? But again, she wanted to do it. Maybe she wanted to support him because he supports her. So, you know, I can't really ascertain the why. I just think it was a bad move and it left a bad taste in her fans' mouth, mm-hmm. Right, rightly so. And I, but like I said, no one's showing up to see Randy Jackson. And But her writing that that under his post brought more attention probably to it than they would have ever gotten. And yeah. she should have just let him hang out yeah. there on that cliff, beating By himself, dumping his Bible yeah. uh, and whatnot. And, and really being, you know, whatever hypocritical, but we're going to get to that. Cause somebody else had a response to that. Someone who would know had a response to that. 
And and so, you know, it kind of was what it was. Bad move on her part, probably, but hey, she said it with her chest. Say it with your chest. Well, and, and so the funny thing is, I have a, a really good friend of mine who is just as much of a Jan fan as user two and I. And, you know, so I was telling her, you know, we're setting up for this podcast and I was telling her what the podcast was about and I gave her the rundown on what Randy did. And then I was like, and then your girl Janet comes with the praying hands. And she was like, did she really? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Janet came. She's like, what does that mean? The same thing we're all saying. And I'm like, we don't know what that means. And she said, are we going to have to cancel Janet? She was so disappointed, right? That's the first thought. Uh, a lifelong, she's fifty. She's in her 50s, right? And she's like, are we going to have to cancel Janet? I mean, that's the immediate response because we don't know what you are. And maybe we're thinking about it too hard. Maybe we're not thinking about it hard enough. I don't know. But the immediate response is we will, ca- look, look, we'll cancel some people. We'll cancel some things. It is Janet really- might as well have put on a red MAGA hat as far as I'm fucking concerned. I, Ashley K. Blue, user two, born of Fayetteville, North Carolina, unfollowed both Randy and Janet immediately because it just was unnecessary bullshit. And I think this kind of speaks to one of the things that is a mission for this podcast, which is to unpack the bullshit in the Jackson family narrative that has confused people into thinking because they are outside of the norm when we treat them like they are um, above average or extraordinary, that means they get access to extraordinary conditions. For example, this is really similar to the game that Michael would play when he got bad media attention. Think about the moment in 2003. He does the Bashir interview. Everything goes left. He decides he's going to release home movies. He does an interview with Geraldo. These are conservative networks that have been conservative for a while. Geraldo's a conservative host who's had a conservative talk show for decades. He's a Fox News correspondent to this day. Michael had access to the same machine that Trump had access to. And both of the, what that machine continues to show us is that there are the long-term effects of using the media in that way are very dangerous. You're either going to create a fascist dictator out of a television host by accident, or you're going to turn the most accessible international star into a quote-unquote freak show, all because you have decided to play with fire. You can't have it both ways and say um, all the children of the world deserve to Uh, be safe and loved and cared for? Do you know where your children are? This is for all of the lost children. There are children in cages right the fuck now that Donald Trump has placed in them who could very well be the Hispanic children that Randy fucking has. So the fact that he would play with fire and that the Jackson family continues to play with that machine, it bothers me. It breaks my heart because they use it to their advantage 
when the conversation has spun out of control or when they want to introduce a hot take out of fucking nowhere. Nobody needed to know what Randy was thinking about this. Well, let me ask you this. Why? Why is he not free to express that opinion on his platforms and however he wants? He doesn't have a real following and whoever <laughs> stop whoever is following him is not taking their political cues from him we're following why can't he why can't he be the kook kook in the the a crazy uncle in the corner matter I'm kind of glad well, he, he is exposed. right I'm glad he exposed it like all right and I'm not he might listen we might run into Randy one day and be like, Randy. And he's like the coolest dude. But we know he's got some messed up views. And, you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. And he probably has a context of his support for Trump comes from a context of probably knowing the guy. Have, they, You know, rich people is a whole nother thing, right? So that starts to supersede a lot of other indicators of yourself like race yeah, socioeconomic yeah. stat you know socioeconomic status becomes bigger than race at some point when you got enough money and so he's got a context of even his support i don't mind him posting it because i just i would be more hurt if i saw beyonce post something in support of trump because her reach is so large yeah. and her influence that millions of people will go vote for him because she said so. No, not a dozen people will go vote for Trump because Randy Jackson <laughs> wrote a post, which is why yeah, I feel like it's, it's almost, it, it, it has no effect. It's no power. You need it, some that, power. Now. That's not true. That's what not, power not, you think that? Well, okay. I agree. The oil well, is not there. Yeah. The oil, the, power it, of us. the oil is not, it's not there. Okay, that oil is not anointed. He got I don't I care how many Bible verses he about his ass on a whole podcast. That's the power that he has. That ain't no power this. neither. That's fa- there's, she's right. That is power. I agree with user 1.5. There is power in that. But I think it's more about what what are you saying and what image are you portraying to the world? Granted, Randy's nobody's role model, right? But he does have public figure status. He takes advantage of that pretty regularly. If he were uh, walking down the street, if he were walking downtown Raleigh, how many people would say, that's Randy Jackson? Well, he did walk down downtown Raleigh with Janet. Remember they had them uh, 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 matching blue flannels? Not, not with Janet. <laughs> By himself. Nobody saw <laughs> him. Did y'all think see him? Go over to Oaks. City Fish and Chip, shout out to my homeboy. Go over there or make an order. And is anybody taking your order going to know who you are? Hell no. Nah. But in Los Angeles, where his ecosystem is, that's a power play. In certain, uh, probably in certain regions of the world where they haven't gotten a lot of um, entertainers that come through or entertainers are super valuable. Yeah, they probably remember The only way he'll know, no, he don't even handle hair no more. The only way people will ask, who's that? Is if he's got security with him, some guards, something that makes him look important. Other than that, you know, it's like, who's that bald black dude? But his job is six feet away from Janet. So that gives him access currently, right? But more to the point, it's... The people that follow Randy are more of an international audience by trade because he was in this uh, famous group. And so what we have to keep in mind is that people are looking at Randy as a portrait of Black America, whether that's for the good or bad for every public figure. And they're assuming, oh, okay, you know, it's not so bad. You know, maybe Trump's not so bad or, you know, 
that's what we're into. That's not what the fuck we're into. But um, I, I it's, there's no problem with him posting that on his personal stuff. That's cool. I think what's more important for me to say is that we don't have to support that bullshit. And I invest a lot of money into the Janet Jackson business. And she's going to be placing prayer hands on Trump posts. I mean, let me just go ahead and keep my coins. Like, no, ma'am. I, and that's, I am, the, that's the thing she risks. And I right. think it was like an unnecessary risk when you know, it's not just, oh, this is my opinion. I, I'm going to stand on it. It's, you know, this person is very polarizing, most especially to a lot of people who follow you in those communities. And you can't listen, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. On one post, you on your page, you're talking about this, but then it seems like you're implying some level of support for the total opposite sort of viewpoint. Right. You, 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 that, that was right. a bad move and maybe she'll come to a place of clarity and clarification for people. So everyone can kind of know what that was about, but she's never she going to address that. She's also 50 years old. I don't know that I wouldn't either. I would say, well, I already got our, you know, if you want to stop, you're going to, you can stop, you know, and but that's cool. But what she revealed to me as a, a, a grown ass supporter, not a child, not particularly not in the the hypest phase of her career. Um, What it says to me is, oh, your brand don't match who you are. And that's upsetting because unfortunately, all of my experiences being a Janet Jackson fan have been positive. I got front row tickets my very first show because her team saw how excited me and my best friend were. They upgraded us. That was a moment that reaffirmed, oh, damn, like Janet really, you know, they look out for the fans. That now I don't feel so bad about spending my rent money to go see your show, you know, to get that, that, that break from reality and enjoy some good entertainment because she's a great entertainer. Randy's a great entertainer, which we're going to get into, but I think it, it just shows the dichotomy between who she is and her brand. And unfortunately her, audience right now trends older she's in the mature bracket she's in the urban ac delegation you know we don't need to uh know that janet got a red cap in the closet when you just uh gave us a state of the world tour with everything everything progressive right now everything that's trending democratic in america and also don't post that shit from london you know what i mean like it just made me feel some type of way but let me go ahead and wrap up this piece because we do want to get into randy's musical history and his timeline um the part that made me decide okay we gotta unpack randy's whole life in the episode was when his daughter called him out after the Instagram post. So remember, this is a series of days that Randy has unnecessarily dragged this shit out and it still wasn't election day. So he posted on Twitter, the next day he posted on Instagram, later on Janet posts the prayer hands. And the day after election day, once the numbers became clear, it may have been two days after, um, because we all know election day for us was a week, um, maybe a couple of days later, when it became clear that Biden won, uh, Randy's daughter, Billy Bodega, who's born as Stevana Jackson, but her stage name is Billy Bodega. Um, she has great music. She called him out. And what I love about Billy Bodega's moment is that she has fully disassociated herself from her family. And, you know, she has personal reasons for that, I'm sure, but for her artistic integrity. I I really love that about her and appreciate her. And that takes a lot of energy to just say, you know what? I clearly look like I'm a whole ass Jackson, but 
fuck it. Don't worry about it. That's not, it's not a part of her character. She stands on her art alone. And that's tough. Um, and, and she does a really good job at it. So um, I want to give her her props there. But the more the moral fortitude, the integrity, the strength that it takes to call your daddy out on Instagram and then tag him, she dragged this nigga down. She takes Randy's Instagram post, drags it to one of her stories and quote unquote says the following, you have always been on the wrong side of history as a father, as an uncle, as a brother, as a husband, as a friend. That's the saddest thing about you. Not even your legacy will remember you kindly. So we're going to use the rest of this episode to review Randy's legacy and see, damn, does it? Does it uh, remember him kindly? He's got one album. We liked it, but what 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 went into that? So um, I'm excited for us to take the next couple of minutes to kind of unpack that. How do y'all feel about Billy Bodega's post? She literally never acknowledges the Jacksons, very, very rarely. How does this like track with you for her to post that about her daddy the day after election day? I think overall it's it's sad. She she said what she had to say and she's not um, you know, I think she's not the only child that has spoken out about the problems that they've had with their father. Um, we know that his son, Randy Jr., has, you know, talked about how uh, you know, they were the kids that didn't get picked up. You know, their dad was supposed to come pick they were the kids that didn't get picked up and how that affected them, just his absence. So it's her truth. It's her life. It's really sad. And as a kid who didn't have my my father wasn't around, I could I felt that, you know, and I felt like, dang, you know, it's tight when you go online and go ahead. Like he didn't say nothing about family, but maybe he did. And she was going, I know you ain't talking about Christian principles. What about um, you know, caring for your your your, your children and the and the women who bear them for you, you know? So I felt like it was like, it really was at the end of the day, sad, you know, because it it speaks to a pain that, you know, he could never apologize enough for not being the best man he could be for his kids. And that post kind of, you know, gave us an insight into his life, further insight into his life. That's like, Oh, that's not cute. And um, you could feel for her. You could feel that sting. She, she did not care. So um, it's always sad to see that kind of play itself out, but the truth is the truth and it has to be said, it has to be stated. And that's her truth. Yeah. And I, I think people have noticed that pretty much every Jackson dotes on their kids in public. Every last one of them that has children, if they've got any type of public facing profile or if they ever do anything, their kids are right there with them. And Randy never says anything about his kids. And you very rarely see them with him. And so to see this young lady who's been creating some really dope art on her own, hasn't been asking for shit, for her to just also come out of left field and drop this bomb, um, just kind of points to the fact that we should reflect on it. So yeah, I think too that, you know, it's a way for her to to also, you know, say to her fan base um that knows that she's Randy Jackson's daughter, right? Like I don't agree with him. I don't even like him is what it's <laughs> honestly what it sounds like, you know. Um and just to make it very clear that she doesn't 
share those views. She also, obviously, like my sister said, has her other uh, other things that, you know, she feels very deeply about their own relationship and the relationship he has with, with the family and that she has with the family. Um, but like she said, it's it's really, it's sad, but it's her truth. And um, that's the the reality of, of living life every day is that, you know, everything's not Skittles and Roses. And there are some, you know, I mean, if anybody's the poster family for a deep dark, I ain't never know nothing about that secrets. It, it, the Jacksons, I would probably put them up there at the top. So, um, so, you know, it just shows that she doesn't agree with him either. And that she was clearly disgusted by, by, uh, his post. And she wanted to make it very clear that she didn't agree with it. And I was disgusted by that shit too. So shout out to Billy Bodega. Go buy one of her singles right now. Give her a fucking coin because she was right. So let's unpack Randy's history and kind of talk through how we got to this moment in 2020 that's just so far from the original Randy narrative. And we have called out this man is 59 and Yos. Okay. Um, so he's fully grown, but he's also the second youngest child of Catherine and Joseph, and he's the youngest boy. So when the Jackson Five starts up in Gary, uh, in Gary, Indiana, Randy's a, a little baby chap, and he's watching the boys get their thing together. So they move. Uh, the Jackson Five gets their deal. They move out west, um, and Randy and Janet are still back in Gary. And I think LaToya and Reby are still back there with them. That's pretty much been the yeah. consistent narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, eventually once uh, they got settled and got a home, uh, Randy and his sisters and his mother joined the group out in Encino. Um, or actually uh, the first house wasn't in Encino, but they were out in Los Angeles. And so around the age of 11, Randy starts playing the congas with the Jackson five. So you've got six brothers on stage uh, pretty consistently in uh, the seventies after a certain point. And um, eventually once the group breaks up in 1975, Jermaine stays with Motown. Randy joins the group officially when they have to rename as the Jacksons and uh, the group moves on to CBS and Epic Records. And so Randy's a part of the Jacksons era where they really take control of their music. And I think this is basically my favorite part of Michael Jackson's catalog. I love the Jackson 5 music. Um, I love the brothers' individual work at varying degrees, as, we, as we've already discussed. But I think the Jacksons... Uh, between 1976 and 1980 just produce some of the most dope music that Michael sang in his catalog. How do y'all feel about the Jackson's piece of, um, of Michael's work? I mean, those are the, those are those hitters. I mean, you know, you got a lovely one and, and you are my, you are (laughs) my, the one that that Jermaine said it would have been better if he had been on it. You are my love. I mean, you've got all of these like really amazing songs. Shake your body down to the ground. I mean, just just real hitters, like for real. I mean, those are and I'm honestly some of the most fun songs, like the, those are the dance tracks, really, um, of the catalog. And I, I mean, that's like you said, probably the the best time. And and Michael and Randy did write 
co-wrote a lot of those songs. Um, so he's a writer. He is a writer. That man can, there's a song on, I think, is it on torture? I don't know. First of all, Randy has just got such a great, he's, his pen is, I mean, it's full of hits and he's, he's got a really nice voice. He's a real, he's a good musician. Just to back it up just a little bit, talking about just his introduction to the world and to his family's business. By 11, he's in the business. Now, I mean, you know, so we're not even talking about all the lead up to that because Joe wasn't going to let you in the business till you were ready no way. So we ain't even talking about all the preparatory work that happened before age 11 and before age 14 when he finally joined the group. This man's entire life has been his family's business. It's like the mafia. It is. They're like the music mafia, the black music mafia. I mean, like, that's something to just take in. Like, when you were just being a kid, and we, like, look longingly back on childhood when you didn't have no bills, you didn't... They were thinking about money and contracts, and if you do this, you'll get this, and this is how you live this lifestyle. That already kind of sets the tone in your mind about life, right? You grow up really quickly when these are the things that you... That are your everyday existence. Sign here. I'm signing on behalf of them. These are my children. They're going to sign. I'm going to sign. You know, and, you know, that's that's something. And I think that that would mess anybody up. We talk about how Michael got messed up by being, oh, you know, that, 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 that's a lot for anyone, including, you said, the second youngest. But at this point, not only is it a lot, he's also trying to just keep up with them all. No, you know, nobody knows him. And then, you know what, you got to get to know him, but everybody done picked a favorite, like, like Kamala said, and she ended up with Tito. Nobody was even thinking about Randy, you know? So she said the Jackson five, cause that was the group. Nobody, after they left Motown, it's like, what y'all going to do now? Right. And they, they absolutely, I think arguably had the best because they were adults in, in control of their own music, had the best stuff going on CBS. But I imagine he was chasing his brothers too, right? In the same way we talk about, was Jermaine chasing Michael? Well, he was chasing everybody because he was the baby. Well, I think too, Joe probably had, you know, was right there in his ear. Like, you know, we already lost Jermaine. You know, you don't want to be like, you don't want to be like your brother Jermaine. Don't break the group up. You know, I mean, you can imagine some of the stuff that was said or whatever, and 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 not necessarily to be manipulative, but it might have been manipulative, but really said to maintain his family and what he had built for them. Because I think Joe also saw the sharks in the water. Sometimes he was a shark in the water, but most of the time he wasn't. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes, sometimes you know, sometimes you play the villain. I mean, that's just all of us. In life, sometimes you are the villain in the story. But, you know, I think that he just, man, what a world and a life to be brought up in and to have to come of age in, you know, no boundaries, no, you know, you just kind of live in La Vida Loca. Yeah. And Randy got all the privileges probably in a good way, uh, by being Jackson five adjacent in a way that Janet didn't one Janet was the baby, baby, the absolute youngest. Um, and, physically just couldn't hang with them but she was also a girl and so she didn't get access to all the full perks of the Jackson 5 lifestyle and Randy did uh in joining at 11 I watched an interview with all of them and uh, they were doing a round of questions and they said uh 
let's talk about Randy. It was actually, unfortunately, it was on The Tonight Show and Bill Cosby was the host. And Bill Cosby gives his seat behind the desk to Randy. And he's like, let's just talk about Randy. And they asked, what does Randy order for room service? Oh, no, they said, what does Randy do? And they said, oh, Randy just sits around and eats and orders room service. And they said, what does Randy order? They say, steak and lobster. (laughs) Regularly. And Michael's like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, he didn't even deny it. This 11-year-old kid just sitting there chuckling. And he's like, yeah, that's true. Um, and then, and then Jackie said he, or no, it was Jermaine that said he, Randy's always late to rehearsal. So by the time we're finishing, he's just coming in the door and then he complains that he's not in the band. And Randy says, yeah, that's true. Sometimes I come late, but maybe they just start early. (laughs) And I just thought about this little fucking chap, Michael Jackson's little brother, um, and like what that was like for him, like he had access to all the perks, but he was not a member of the five. He did not have to be at rehearsal when he didn't want to, but he also gets to learn instruments in a different environment, which kind of explains why he might be one of the more um, talented brothers. Yeah. Somebody said that I think on, on the birthday post, they retweeted it and they said, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Randy's the most musically gifted. They said, Michael's the king of pop. Randy's the most musically gifted of them. And I mean, if you're talking about like a trifecta, like he's, he knocks that out of the park for a couple of things. He does. He's not a dancer, but he can play multiple instruments. And we know he was doing that on Michael's own demos. And if you're a musician and you're playing with people while they create, you're part of the creation process. So some of the hits we love that Randy's a part of that, of creating that hit, you know what I mean? Creating that, that sound that you love. Don't stop till you get enough, um, working day and night. Um, and other songs, I'm sure we don't know the depth of how much he hit. He, we talked about this a little on the brothers episode, how they influenced each other and bounced off of each other. And all of them is, each of them is contained in each other's works if you really are paying attention. The Jacksons are inside every single Michael Jackson album, period. And on every single Michael Jackson tour. So if you don't like, if you don't, you can't say, oh, I don't like the Jacksons music, but I love Michael's stuff. Like literally they are inside of that. Like the blueprint for Michael's solo is contained in the Jacksons stuff. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for all of their albums contain some things where you go, I hear the influence of your family. And I hear that you, especially the earlier stuff before everybody really kind of, before Michael became uber big, you know, by the time bad happens or whatever, but Randy just super talented musician. Um, and he seemed really quiet. That's kind of the impression, you know, you kind of got from him. And I guess he still is even, um, 1.5 was talking about how the dude ain't got 15 posts. Where does come from? Right. He's not, (laughs) he's not a talker unless he really wants to be and say he's going to go talk to the media or something or threatening you or something like that. But he's kind of quiet until he ain't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and that's a big old fact. (laughs) Aren't we all? So yeah, he's, 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 he's interesting. He's definitely interesting. So around 1976, the Jackson's variety show debuts on CBS and that show is on June 
1976 through March of 1977. So during that same time, the Jacksons released their self-titled album on CBS Philadelphia International Records. Uh, They did a joint venture there. And uh, they released that on CBS. And so uh, the primary musicians on that album, Tito, Randy, and the studio band, MFSB, which I learned stands for Mother, Father, Sister, Brother. Uh, Yeah, and that album goes gold, sells 500,000 out the gate. So Randy is a part of their first uh, success post-Motown. And uh, their creativity only increases from there um, as the albums go on. So the following year, you get Going Places. Randy is credited uh, through the Jacksons. So on this album, you see the brothers use the Jacksons as a writing credit instead of their names individually. And so uh, the Jacksons as a unit are listed as writers on Going Places, the title song, and Do What You Wanna, which is my jam. Uh, the following year, the brothers are going back to back. So 1978, um, Randy releases How Can I Be Sure and Love Song for Kids on Ivory Tower Records owned by Joe. Going into this little rabbit hole of Randy's career, which in turn was Joe's career, let me further know why I love this podcast because we're absolutely going to dig into Joseph's business ventures and his timeline as well, because this ivory tower records moment was a real power trip for Joseph Walter Jackson. So at this point in 1978, Michael's already uh, done the whiz or working on the whiz actively on his way to off the wall era. He's, probably already recording those demos with Randy around this time or getting ready to. Michael is already too far outside of Joseph's reach as far as management is concerned. But Randy is still a youth. Randy's still in the house. Michael's still in the house too, but Randy's uh, under 18 in the house. And so Joseph gets this little child prodigy signed to Ivory Tower Records. He's the only Jackson brother that was signed to Ivory Tower Records alongside some other groups that you've literally never heard of, and we'll talk about them some other time. Um, But what do you think about Randy being Joseph's (laughs) last little puppet? Uh, I'm sure Janet was still on his roster at that point. Latoya is probably still on his roster at that point. Uh, the, sh- the variety show has ended, so Reby's not exactly on his roster. How do y'all feel about Ivory Tower Records? Good I love you. it. I love, love it. I love it. I'm here for Listen, you. Listen, use what you if you yep. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm here for Joe. All the rest of these guys have been able to take us from the hood to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and let's let's ride that plane and let's ride that train to the wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. So I and Randy actually had a lot of talent. So yeah, if this is the last shot, this is a good roll of the dice to try to get him on board. Yeah, he must have got tired though because he didn't have that strong arm like he used to have because Randy was out there. Like and you know, he was tired. Yeah, he was tired. He was tired. And you know, good for Joe. Joe is the original momager. You hear me? <laughs> and Joe Joseph. <laughs> Joe Jackson was able to do with every single one of his children, okay? Some were really great. Some were, you know, probably, you know, should have stayed where they were. But every single one of his children 
wanted a a career past, you know, something in Gary, Indiana, something, you know, they wanted to be successful. Um, and that in part, uh, for a big part, was because of Mama Jojo. So good for Joe. If this was his last ditch effort to get his own creativity, creative juices flowing and his own, good you know, thing, go for it. The song said, write the vision and make it plain. When you living in a how many bedroom house and little Gary Indiana. And so mm-hmm. first of all, people need to set the scene for what Gary Indiana is. And you can go back. We talked about this already on a past Two episode. bedrooms. About them coming from Gary Indiana, coming from the dirt where you, the only thing you got is a dream, but you got to push it through and see it through. He was spending money they didn't have to get them equipment and to get them and driving them around the chitlin circuit to get them opportunities and putting them in places no children should be in but Mm -hmm. he he said this is the only way i know and but my kids are talented and they can go far and had he not done that now all the stuff that happened from there i'm not gonna blame him for the way some people do because once you become grown you also become responsible for your own healing so when other people have hurt you you cannot wait for them to heal you okay because let me i don't know where she at because she's really put into your life you know what i'm saying but you so i'm not gonna blame joe if people are uh, he has to that responsibility he dealt with with his maker when god called him on home mm-hmm. right but everyone else has to deal with how their life was affected by this man but what he did for them how many parents have done for their children it's a lot of people who've tried but how many have succeeded and succeeded in the way he did none and let me tell you something 11 year old randy ordering steak and lobster yeah That's- joe get to be a- yes <laughs> joseph can do whatever he wants to do mm-hmm. when you even know how to eat lobster at le- a lobster tail and whatnot mm-hmm. at 11 you know you're living an okay life i man. was a whole grown up before i ever had lobster yeah when you I mean, there's a whole tail. lobster it was a tail <laughs> wanting the whole joke wanting the whole kind of had the tail that's it that's tail. it you know what i'm saying so i mean i'm not even mad at that we can go and that's why i really hate and this is a rabbit hole and i'm not trying to go down i'm gonna give it 20 seconds i really hate when i see people just tear apart joseph jackson online i'm just like okay well you know let his kids do that how about that you know and they're not doing it so why about how about you back up you know how how do you speak for other people's experience when they're not even saying it and you know let them deal with that and deal with how that was but i think randy was his last he was the last boy and so this was it, you know, and Joseph, I think, was trying to mold him to be a man who could also do what his other boys had done, which is stand on their own two feet, make money for themselves and take care of themselves and their families. I think that was what Joseph was trying to do, even though he, you know, um, you know, he did do that with his nuclear family, the family we 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 associate um, he took care of them. And I think he was trying to create that same sort of thing for his boys to give them the ability to do that. And I think um, it worked to varying degrees. I agree. I also find it interesting that Billy Bodega had nothing to say but good things about Joseph Jackson. You think he was better with his grandchildren than he was with his children? I think absolutely. People learn, yeah, people learn from their mistakes with their children, and they do better with their grandchildren, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're like, like we say that all the time about uh, our mom. I'm like, oh, she was, you know, she was a thug when we were growing up. Like, she is soft on her grandsons. Like, you know, it's it's you don't have to be as hard, first of all, because they don't belong to you directly, right? Mm-hmm. They, you know, you can send them home with their parents. Their parents can be a disciplinarian and you can do all the fun things. 
things with them. That's the the beauty of the kid not being, you know, yours specifically. Um, but I think Joseph, you know, by the time his grandchildren came along, there were no more of his children to push. There were no, I mean, Joseph had his little business deals here and there, which, you know, we'll, I guess we'll go into at some point, but he wasn't trying to push the Jacksons or the Jackson five or this new tour or the, you know, at this point, all he had to do was, all he could do was sit back and enjoy his family or, you know? Yeah. By the time he got older. Yeah. But I mean, I remember if I'm not mistaken, when Michael was going to court, there's like a picture of him holding Michael's hand going into court. And that like that says more that like a picture is worth a thousand words. That just says a lot about even maybe their healing inside their relationship. But regardless of everything, he said, this is my son mm-hmm. and I love him. You know, that's what that said. You know, and I got your back. He was there every day. Like Miss Catherine didn't go every day because that's a lot. That's a lot for anybody to do. But I believe Joe was there every single day. Yeah. And that's like uh, on the Jackson's and American dream, uh, the Jermaine, inspired movie um the there's this one line after the pepsi accident if you guys remember uh when the reporter came and asked him you know how do you feel you know you know about what's happened to michael and he and he turned around at the hospital room and he was like that's my son you know when that curl (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) you know and it was it was that I, i you know even though that was a fictionalized version of you know their lives. I mean, I think that even in Jermaine, you know, <laughs> and Lord, I hate talking about Jermaine in this movie because he he says that this happened, didn't happen, like he wasn't a part of the book. Anyway, anyway, so even with in Jermaine's mind, right, he still had the wherewithal to to, to make sure that it was very clear that even if they had issues, Joseph was still very he's very much so their father, and he loved them, you know, unconditionally as as most most parents do. Yeah. I think all of that is true. That's just the nature, as you were saying, of being a grandparent. But I also think over time he started to hear Michael and Janet because they were so public about uh, their childhoods and the things that Joseph didn't provide. The more you dig into the, the stories of lore, of the Jacksons, you find that Michael, Randy, and Janet shared a unique bond over hating Joseph. And probably because the three of them received uh, the brunt of his energy because they were at the house the longest. And I think it's interesting how those relationships changed towards the end of their lives with Joseph being there for Michael in court or uh, Joseph taking Janet to the Nutty Professor premiere. Like those are things that they had been quietly complaining about in interviews for years. But over time, it became clear that he was starting to hear them. And even though they disputed, you know, what, the lines of what child abuse meant to them at that moment and what we know it to be now. I think Joseph was one of the rare stage parents that started to hear his children and started treating them differently than he had previously, particularly in the public. And I think that's something that is worth calling out and unpacking. Uh, Can I read y'all this quick little piece from that, uh, this jet, article that I found 
around, uh, which is clearly a story that Joseph planted to announce <laughs> Ivory Tower Records. You don't have to say that, but he did. Go ahead. He, he clearly did. So what I'm learning in reading the autobiographies <laughs> and biographies and unofficial biographies of celebrities is that Jet and Ebony really made themselves accessible to black celebrities where if some shit went down black people are just always like come on home and they're gonna give you a fire photo spread either you can send some pictures that you like or they'll send a photographer and get some candidates of you <laughs> you can run up whatever narrative you want and so i think uh, it's beautiful that joseph got to use that as well the the headline here says j5 in movie role Dad forms own record company, Joseph W. Jackson, father of the famous Jackson Five, formally introduced his new Ivory Tower International Record Company at a Hollywood press party and presented the firm's principal artist. At the same gala event, his multi-talented sons announced the J5 will star in their first major motion picture, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine. Marlon and Michael, already superstars of the recording and concert fields, will make their film debut in Isoman Cross and Sons, an original screenplay hmm. written, directed, and produced by Raymond St. Jock. Sounds original. Saint Isoman St. Jock will also star in the movie. The film deals with a slave family during the mid-19th century, struggling not only for freedom, but their very existence. The film commitment and the new record company, it was said, do not affect the relationship of J5 to Motown Records. So this is before, right before they jumped the ship uh, to go over to see first of all that sounds like an awful idea that that <laughs> really sounds like an awful idea um i cannot i don't see any upside to the five of them starring in a slavery era pick in which they won't be singing and playing instruments that's literally the only reason that all five of them need to be in <laughs> It was June 6, 19... <laughs> this is June 6, 1974. So this is four years before Randy debuts music on Ivory Tower Records. Randy's in the middle of all of this. Um, the Ivory Tower, so to speak. And uh, Destiny comes out shortly after Randy's two songs on Ivory Tower Records. So he's doing these things simultaneously. The brothers uh, are ebbing and flowing into each other's work at this point destiny is released randy's got his first three songs co-written with michael shake your body down to the ground all night dancing that's what you get for being polite randy plays congas percussion vocal arrangements backing vocals he's credited alongside the jacksons with push me away things i do for you destiny bless his soul so the jacksons write a shit ton of the music on the Destiny album. And Randy's responsible with Michael for probably about mm, 25% of those. Um, so this is, Randy is starting to peak with his personal abilities. And so we see um, in that between time, we've got the Off the Wall album happening. 
Randy's helping Michael with those demos. Now we're spilling into the uh, the 80s. So Randy starts 1980 off with a car crash where he crushes his leg and foot. A couple months later in June, he appears on Jet Magazine holding his crutches over his shoulder. And the headline says, Randy Jackson walks again, talks about his future. So this kid has a traumatic experience recovers against all odds and then in october the triumph album comes out triumph randy co-writes lovely one with michael time waits for no one with jackie walk right now with michael and jackie give it up with michael wondering who with michael randy contributes percussion backing vocals co-lead vocals so i just want to pause in this moment because all of this is happening back to back to back. This kid has a crazy ass accident, almost loses his life. And then the Jacksons fully hit their stride going into the 1980s. What do you think that moment was like for the family overall? And why is this, maybe this isn't, this wasn't even highlighted in the Jacksons in American dream. The only illusion that we get to Randy and his lifestyle is that one moment where he's late um, on the way to rehearsal and Joseph yells at him and tells him to hurry up and get in the car. Um, So what do you think that moment is like for these guys? Um, Which moment? The moment when they start to kind of rock it up into the the Jacksons being huge? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. This is shake your body down to the ground era. I mean, I think for them, it was work, right? But it was also their life. And they really didn't know much, much else. And and as much as Michael talks to, talked about, um, you know, not having a childhood and working all the time and, you know, got me working day and night, um, you got to remember, too, Janet and Randy, they were all in the same boat, right? All of the guys really were in the same boat. The only thing going for the older ones uh, was that they they started in Gary. So, I mean, before they really got going, before, uh, you know, who was it? Tito wrote that guitar string. Uh, they, they, they had a normal life. Um, so I think that, you know, being in a car crash and getting up and, and continuing to work was nothing for for Randy. I don't even think he he had time or or was allowed to take the time to process uh you know the magnitude of what had just happened to him. It was like let's go cuz because he was a part of the group and and you know the 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 whole was greater than the parts, you know. Um so I mean I think this era honestly like I said earlier some of their best music um, some of the, the most fun music, the funkiest pieces, the pieces that Michael still kept in the show that he didn't call like the old time way, you know, the old time music. Um, you could still, you could put it on any, in any club now and people would still, you know, it still makes you move. Um, but I think that they were, this was their life. So I don't think that there was anything odd or strange about it. They were just like, all right, we gotta go to work, you know? Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I think, you know, it's so much going on. He probably didn't want to get left behind at all. What you see is several years of back-to-back work starting in 1976. And then 
they're telling you all of a sudden you might not be able to walk. So in a couple months, he figures out, you know, how he's going to get his shit back together. And the brothers are falling into the pocket of the groove that sustains Michael's catalog for the rest of his life. So this is a a really interesting moment in all of their lives, but particularly for Randy, kind of just having that moment and then cruising right into uh, going on tour. And they record um, the Jacksons live. And so that's one of my favorite Jackson's albums. If you have not listened to that album in full, do yourself a favor and listen to the Jacksons live. It's such a good composition and it just shows you how that stage show was coming together for the brothers and what pieces Michael was developing that stuck in his show all the way through the, this is it era. And so 1981, um, Randy provides, uh, does a duet with LaToya on a song called Giving You Up. LaToya is making music in the 80s as well. Don't forget that. We'll unpack her life a little later. Uh, But Randy does a duet with her, and um, he's obviously playing on the Jackson's Live album. So after this, you get a a little break. Um, Michael is doing Thriller at this moment and so you see a gap this is the first gap in the jackson's workload since coming over to cbs so we've got the live album coming out in 1981 which we know off the wall had legs and was gone by 1981 and you don't get another jackson's album until 1984 and that's the victory album which spawned the Victory Tour, which is the last tour that Michael goes on with his brothers until they're seen together again in 2001. And so the Victory album, Michael doesn't participate as much because he's got his thriller vibes going on. So Randy... done with them. That's why Michael doesn't participate as much, because he was done with them. He was pretty much done with them. So on this album, Randy writes One More Chance, which I love that song. He also co-writes The Hurt, but Randy shares lead vocals with Jermaine on One More Chance, and he and the Hurt is his first solo song. Victory was not a, one of my favorite Jackson's albums. How does that rank for y'all? It's nobody's favorite. It's okay. Yeah, it's it's really the tour is like a mini. Mm, yeah, nobody mini no, Michael. Mini bad, you know, like that was really the the best part of the Victory album was the tour because we got to kind of have a preview of what michael was gonna uh hit us with with bad it was really just a collection of all the brothers trying their hand at their thing and then they threw it all together it was the Mm -hmm. album was torture i know they had that song but the album was act should have been probably named torture uk charts victory was number three on the u.s billboard 200 victory was number four um on the u.s hot black albums chart it was number three and yeah that's where they peaked so they probably it probably fell way off right after that but they they hit top 10 in two huge markets so that's good um and at this point they're riding on michael's name recognition and celebrity hard not 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 that they aren't celebrities in their own right but by this point we've got triller and we got off the wall and we have like he's literally the biggest star in the world that album took a lot of got a lot more credit than it probably deserved 
just on the strength of Michael Jackson. Because and he ain't he's on like how many tracks? On Victory? Yeah. I think he's only on torture, honestly. Yeah, he's only on like one track. So you know that he's really he had done signaled, I'm I'm about to be out. He had a, he had the door open. The screen door was open, matter of fact. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're right because I think he sent those vocals over to them. I don't think he rec- this might be one of the first times he doesn't record directly with his with brothers. Them. Yeah. He pretty much treated them the way he was treating other people. He gave them a cameo. Michael was appearing on other people's stuff. Especially in the late seventies, early eighties, he was all over the place, and a lot of fans don't even know that's him on the track. Mm. Like, I think he did something with Roberta. Did he do something with Roberta Flack, and he did mm. something with the um, the Bee Gees and Kenny. Uh, not, it wasn't Kenny Rogers. Was it Kenny? It was. It was Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, well, and we all know and, that um, huge uh, Rockwell track. The yeah, he know, did something with. Me. I mean, he did something with. Um, He's uh, the Johnson. He's done. He, I mean, like adding religious the vocals. Doobie brothers. And he kind of treated his brothers like that right now, too. He was like, I'm not going to be on the whole album, but I'll jump on the track. I'll jump on the track. And so I think he was really signaling, like, I don't do this anymore. Yeah, I agree with that. And it was pretty clear. Um, he, he was just offering alley-oops the same way that he did for Reby and writing Centipede or for Diana Ross and writing Muscles. These are like alley-oops, yeah. like I'm he a male. With the yeah. He, yeah. He, he, he assists, but he's like, you got to make the layup. I'm just here to, you know, and I think that, you know, they, I'm sure they would have wanted him to do more, but you could tell that artistically they were not in the same... You can tell artistically none of them were in the same place as anybody else. They all, I think, were at this place of wanting to do their own thing because soon thereafter, you start getting the cascade. Well, Jermaine's always recording, but you start getting the cascade of solo albums from certain brothers. You get Jackie, you get Marlon, you get... um, Tito comes way later, but eventually Randy does. And this is all in the 80s, in this same decade, a couple of years later. So everyone starts working on their own thing. And you can tell artistically they are not together anymore. Right. And so around this time, put yourself in Randy's shoes. Ivory Tower Records obviously didn't shake. I say we still talking about Ivory Tower. You, uh, you just dropped all these dope albums with your brothers when you're co-writing with them. You helped Michael spin off, off the wall. Um, at this point, he's got to be thinking about, okay, well, when is my joint going to pop? Because I, I wrote Shake Your Body Down to the Ground. I know I got some more hits in me. So he gives us the hurt and the hurt, the hurt was hurt. So He's got to be itching around 1984. And so 1985, We Are the World happens. The brothers join uh, Michael and Hollywood for that recording. And Randy's right in the mix there. And then there's another huge gap. So this is the second gap for Randy and uh, his creative output. We don't hear anything until 1989, where a series of things collide. So... 1989, Michael has already released Thriller, Now Bad. He's just wrapped the bad tour. 1989, what is Michael doing? Just being fucking fly as shit? It wrapped up January 27th, 1989 was the last show. Jesus. He goes goes throughout, like, almost, yeah. The first show was September 12th, 1987. 
That's a long run. Michael's busy and then he's tired. Mm-hmm. He's got to be exhausted because yeah. you've got these back-to-back Jackson's albums, The Wiz. Now his solo projects have rolled out. He's done the Brothers tour. He did Captain EO. He's done this tour. My man needs a nap. He need a hold. Right? But but this is where he's at his peak. So Randy on the other side of the game is still rolling with his brothers and they pulled together 2300 Jackson street, which comes out in May, 1989. So of course this is another mail-in opportunity for Michael to send his vocals, but he also is joined by the rest of his siblings. So everybody submits a vocal for this song, except Latoya. Randy's credited on four songs on this album. So he's doing some heavy lifting, but this, this album is whack. It's whack as fuck. So 2300 Jackson street does nothing slams into a wall. Meanwhile, both Michael and Janet are fucking rock stars in 1989. And so Janet's on A&M records. And so is Randy. Randy's escaped ivory tower. He's escaped CBS and In 1989, he finally puts out his solo album, Randy and the Gypsies, on A&M Records. So put yourself in Randy's shoes at this moment. His sister is an icon. She's got probably two albums out by this point. Rhythm Nation is out. So she's out of the stratosphere in 1989. And... Um, unfortunately, these albums collide this year. So um, this piece uh, I pulled from Jackson's source, uh, which gives us a readout from Billboard. So Billboard reviews the album in late 1989, Randy and the Gypsies, and said it was a shame that it was on the same label as Janet because they knew this album was going to get buried and not promote it with Janet's Rhythm Nation coming out around the same time. Also at that time, A&M Records was being sold to Universal and Randy and the Gypsies album was never promoted during the transition. Randy's had three charted titles, on the hot R&B hip hop billboard songs chart, one as a solo artist and two as a part of Randy and the Gypsies. So of those three songs, 1990s release, Love You Honey, scored the highest at number 16. So how do you feel as Randy in 1989? Um, You... We had in the group chat an article where Randy was supposed to do some press and the event got canceled during his album release. User one, can you unpack that story and then kind of frame it with this information of Randy, his his really well-crafted album kind of pop and fizzing right under Janet's explosion? Yeah, I mean, he, Randy's, I think by the time his solo album comes out, he's, 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 he wants to spread his wings, obviously, but it just seems he, he was still maybe nervous about doing it, or nervous about his ability to succeed on his own because he kind of self-sabotaged because apparently he was set to have a really big, um, you know, coming out sort of party for at, at the Roxy for his band. And he uh, has gets sick the day of and doesn't do the show. And, 
you know, a lot of money was put into promoting that event. A lot of people were invited, big wigs, to kind of help, you know, bring this group out to get them some exposure and start working on their, you know, their, at that point, the album was being released that, or was released. And, you know, to get them, you know, to hype them. And it almost seemed like a, a self-sabotage um, of himself, of his own solo effort, because he didn't come to the show. I think he said he had bronchitis or something. And the show did, never happened. And that just infuriated the label. And they did not want anything else. This is according to, I believe, one of the band members. Um, the label didn't want anything else to do with them. And there was no real promotion after that. There were two um, uh, singles released, or three singles released, two videos. And this actually was a really good album. But um, just no real push from the label at that point, probably because they felt... Why are we going to put money into, he really is more, he's really name, his name probably got him all where he's at right now versus his own efforts, you know, just his part of that group, that, that family. And then in his own might, he kind of showed he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to perform. I, I don't, I think that it's clear he really was not committed to a, a, a career as a solo artist. I think that that just became evident. He didn't want to do it for whatever reasons. He's Just because he's talented doesn't mean he has to want to do it. And it's clear, I think, that he didn't really want to do it or he has a problem or he maybe he was just afraid of failure. Not sure. Mm-hmm. And I think Randy would do, would do better. Some people are front of the camera and some people are better behind the scenes. I think his songwriting ability, his musical instrument playing ability. I mean, we already talked about how wonderful he is at both. I think that if he would have stayed in that lane and, and he has been, you know, writing for other people and he writes for his sister, Janet. Now still he wrote uh, made for now, uh, which was the, her last uh, you know, big single. Um, but I just, or co-wrote made for now. Let me, clean that up um i just think that you know maybe he's a behind the scenes kind of guy maybe he's just better in a group you know what i'm saying yeah. like we're but not gonna take blue out of the temptations and make him a solo but artist when you're in a group you some there are the front runners and then there are the behind the scenes you know like we talked about how jermaine got promoted to lead background singer <laughs> it's it's you know, that's what i'm saying maybe he's better in a group and he just you know a lot of people who are in groups try solo stuff it doesn't work because yeah. they're actually better a part of a collective as a part of a whole, right. versus than as individuals. And I think maybe that's that was just his lot. And and like you said, also he could have had a really heavy career behind the scenes as a writer and as a musician. And maybe he just tried to take the path that seemed that was already laid out, which was okay. I'll be my own artist. But it's like maybe that's not your move as one of the brothers. You don't get. You don't want to be really your own artist. You want to be, you know, involved in other ways. Well, and he didn't even do well as a group. I mean, think about it. It's Randy and the Gypsies. I understand that the Gypsies were with the band, but it's still Randy and his group. You know, like you know, I meant the Jacksons. You know, but that's what I'm saying. Like he was still better as not the lead person of the group because as the leader, you carry the weight, and he clearly was not. He won't for it. Capable of carrying the weight. He got sick to do the show. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good point because he did say he didn't want his name associated with the name of the group at all. But they said, you got to give us something. So he said, you can use my first name, which was how they came to 
Randy and the Gypsies. But I also think it's interesting that he uses the same excuse that Jermaine gave us when he didn't come to the show Lies. in Morganton. Lies. Uh, I'm sick. They all, they played the same card. Because Randy could have very easily lip synced two or three of them songs from this album. He had a whole band to hide behind if he wanted to. Just show up. But he didn't do it. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. Yeah, that's the answer. And that's the okay. He didn't want to do it. And maybe, and maybe he was slightly unwell, but the truth is that the show must go on. And he could have just Millie Vanilli didn't. Nobody would have. Oh, no. And honestly, if he didn't feel good, he could have rescheduled the shit. If he probably really not. wanted to make it pop. Yes, no, he could have. Now, now put probably. it. He probably couldn't have gotten a budget approved for it, but Randy Jackson could have pulled up with that band in Venice Beach somewhere and got stolen one of Michael's cameras from Neverland and fucking shot something quick to send. Like he could have easily pulled off retribution for at least showcasing that band. I think it's just sus. I think at the end of the day, the conclusion is him not doing that show is sus, whether it was legit or self-sabotage. There's evidence of self-sabotage, and so it's sus, and you see he doesn't, it kind of, what supports that it was probably self-sabotage is that he doesn't even independently come out with anything else after this, and he probably could have gotten another record deal with another record label after mm-hmm. even after this but that didn't happen either because and randy that, is fucking drama that's why yeah he gets into a lot of stuff in his personal life during that time and afterwards and it just like the 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 professional side really kind of fizzled out i also have a more radical thought here and randy if this is offensive to you we can talk about it in person i don't think you're productive if Michael or Janet ain't telling you what to do. That's just what this, that's just what the charts are showing us. They like to practice. Randy doesn't have that practice energy. Mm -mm. Um, And I think that's pretty evident, but he's also still making money because all these songs he's co-written with his brothers are hot. I was literally about to say he came into the in the time after Motown when they got royalties because they were the writers on these songs, right? So he still got shoot hell. He probably still gets a check every now and then from from you know one or two or three of these songs or albums. Oh, all of them. You know. So we're rounding the corner here, um, the drama section. So we don't hear any more music out of Randy until 2018 with Made For Now. He co-writes Made For Now. Him and Janet are partners with an independent music publisher, which leads us to believe they want to write more music um, and they'll do it under that banner. And so we essentially have um, a 30-year gap before we hear more music come out of Randy between 1989 and 2018. The only other time that we see him being creative is during 2001 at Michael's 30th anniversary, where he performs with all of his brothers after teasing that he might not have alongside with Jermaine. Everybody questioned whether all the brothers would be there. They were there. Randy was in attendance, but I swear to God, he was so annoying. I feel like Michael almost pushed him off the stage at least two or three times. Am I the only person that got that vibe? Well, uh, Michael was 
in an altered state. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure that added to the aggravation. I think Randy thought it was funny to be, but I think Randy was being himself. I feel like Randy can be an annoying little prick. So I think Randy was being himself. And I think that Michael was like, I already didn't want to do this. And then you up here acting a fool and this is not your show. Um, but yes, I, I feel like Michael probably would have body slammed him if Michael had the strength to do so. I feel like that would have happened. That would have come. I agree. So they, they called Katie afterward. Don't worry. He called Katie at the, uh, the next day. Mm-hmm. Talk about how annoying Randy was. I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. I would have. He called Katie the next day. That's not, I, there's no doubt in my mind. He called Katie the next day. I mean, he up there talking about you down with OPP. Like, first of all, that's not even your song. You don't have the rights to this music. Like, what are you doing? You know, like. Yeah, it was just a he little. Good. He looked good in them pants, though. I ain't gonna lie. Randy do got them cheeks and that respectfully. <laughs> he was feeling them all out. He was feeling them all out. Even though you're a Trump supporter, I would never disrespect your consent, but you do have them cheeks respectfully. Um, so mm-hmm. from here on out, all we get from Randy is fucking drama. So sometime in the 1980s, uh, it has been verified by Randy on the same hot mess ass Twitter that Tina Turner shot him in the ass. This story has been verified by multiple sources, including uh, one of Tina Turner's former assistants who wrote a tell-all book who said that Tina shot Randy after his girlfriend, who was Tina Turner's son's ex-girlfriend, retreated to her house because Randy had been assaulting her. And... Randy beat the shit out of her. She runs to Tina Turner's house. Tina Turner gives her advice, having survived domestic abuse herself. Um, the girl calls Randy. Tina Turner then uh, has to shoot Randy because he jumps through a window mm. in her house. Mm-hmm. And she shoots him and he runs off the property. And Randy is rumored to say that Tina Turner uh, was smashing his girlfriend and that's why he had to break through her window that if tina turner is smashing your girl randy you don't get to bust in the house to do anything about it can we talk about tina turner's lack of security how the hell did he get his ass through a window in order to be shot this is where user one usually pops up and talks about randy driving his car through the gate as many sources have told us that he did at Michael's home. Well, that, dri- driving through a gate and jumping through a window are two different forms of security. Like, what? What is Tina doing? Tina didn't have no. She didn't have no people. Didn't no guard. No gates. Well, she didn't need one. She had a gun at that point, well, and she shot Randy herself. And she used it. And the only reason that she didn't report it is because she didn't want to deal with the press. So, Randy has a series of domestic abuse situations, um, gets convicted, doesn't do his rehab time, completely flakes out on his responsibilities. His wife divorces him. Um, he and Jermaine trade baby mamas. And the only thing we hear from Randy between then in the 1990s and this blessed 2020 is that he's filed for bankruptcy alongside beating his wife and um, also complaining about Michael Jackson's will. And I think we've continued to unpack the saga of Michael's estate because there is a lack of representation um, and 
we know the estate is just poorly put together, unfortunately. And a lot of that is Michael's fault, but uh, the, the siblings tried to challenge the will. And I think we should probably unpack that on a different episode, but Randy has consistently been uh, contrary to everything that the estate has done. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm just starting to see Randy as a complainer. Whereas in the beginning I was on his side and now I'm just starting to think he has a little too much privilege and he's demanding access that Michael never would have given him. Um, So I think we'll stop there because Randy doesn't deserve any more of our time and energy. We appreciate y'all joining us. Please follow us on Twitter at B-L-K-J-A-C-K Estate. And uh, we are live on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify. Just search The Black Jackson Estate and we'll pop right up. Also hit up our PayPal. That's paypal.me forward slash Black Jack Estate. Hit us with a prayer um, offering, a love offering, you know, uh, just something for us to, to keep these RSS feeds in good repair. And so we can keep the content coming to user one, user 1.5. Any parting words? Y'all be safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Look out for yourself. Look out for other people. Be good. Be kind. Be peace. Don't be like Randy. <laughs>